0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 542, where we sit down with Billy, the kid, the lord of the land.
1: You could look at it the other way or this way, it's all mindset, honestly. You know, people say they're waiting for the economy to change or the real estate market to change in order for them to jump on. And it's like, literally, they know what needs to change is their philosophy. Their mindset is what needs to change. Nothing else matters once you do that. So change your thinking. And once I changed that thinking, everything around me changed. I stopped blaming the government. I stopped crying about taxes or the market. I took responsibility. (laughs)
0: What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, the show where it's our mission to lead you down the path to financial freedom. We do that by bringing on expert investors and taking them through tactics, the mindset, the mistakes that led to their success so that you can take the next meaningful, next steps towards living your dream life. And of course, here with me is my co-host, Mr. David Green.
2: David Green, what's up, man? Welcome, Brandon. I also want to add that if anyone is new here on this podcast, they should check out the Ultimate Beginner's Guide. It's a great little ebook, a quick read, and the best part, totally free. You can find it at biggerpockets.com slash UBG for Ultimate Beginner's Guide. That sounded like a quick tip. Was that the quick tip for today? It was pretty quick. It was the quickest quick tip I've ever given.
0: All right. (laughs) You are not known for being uh, terse. So we've got David Verbose Green today. And our guest again today is Billy DaKid. And he is a musician, a hip-hop artist, a uh, Instagram celebrity, we'll call him that. And uh, really all-around cool dude, who's done some awesome stuff in real estate, owns up to 22 units right now, closing on a few more shortly. Financial freedom has got enough, you know, quit his job a couple years ago. Also does a a construction company, has a bunch of other cool stuff, management company, all this cool stuff. You're going to learn about it today. And what's so cool about today's interview is he's just so darn relatable. Like he didn't come from a ton of money. He came from actually what he calls is like, not like starting from zero, but starting from like negative to get to where he is today. And so it's one of those shows that's inspirational and educational all wrapped in one. So that said, before we get to it,
3: got a couple quick things to cover first. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing and all you need is 500 dollars to start short notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition construction and development phases you'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate head to connectinvest.com bp to create your account fund your digital wallet with at least five hundred dollars select from six 12 and 24 month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com/vp. connectinvest.com/vp. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now Rent Ready's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BPInvestor. That's BP Investor. That's B P like Bigger Pockets Investor like me to get six months of rent ready for one dollar, which is crazy. In case
0: you missed the announcement, I think I announced it what, a couple of weeks ago, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure when it was. Anyway, uh, in case you didn't hear, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical from the Bigger Pockets podcast, kind of an indefinite. I don't know when I'll be back, but uh, my last episode is going to be end of this year. So I still love you all. I love Bigger Pockets. I love everything, but uh, we're going to be bringing in some more hosts to help. And I'll be back again to, to sub in here and there. But I'm going to do some focus on Open Door Capital and my family and maybe get myself some better surfing time. in. so in case you're wondering where I am after the new year, that's where I'm going to be. So, but anyway, more on that. If you go back and listen to episode of 537, where David and I talk about some of our favorite books, but just wanted to give you guys a heads up in case you didn't hear that episode. So, and I'll put more of that information on my Instagram as well. Beardy Brandon. And uh, we'll go from there. So David green, anything you want to say before we jump into today's interview with Billy DeKid.
2: You know, I really like that. Billy took a lot of things in life he did that we probably wouldn't consider successful. They weren't unsuccessful. He just did things that didn't get the result he wanted and he accumulated lessons from those quote unquote failures, which he applied to real estate investing, which he has been very successful at. And that is a very encouraging concept for people to grasp that because you try something it didn't work out does not mean it was a waste of your time or that you failed, you very very well, learn things through that endeavor that will actually click into place when you find the right thing for you. So keep trying new stuff. There we go. Great advice today. The second quick tip
0: from David Green. With that said, let's get into today's interview with the Lord of the Land, Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast, man. Good to have you here.
1: Man, same. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, a while that we've been kind of going back and forth on Instagram, so I'm pumped. Let's do this. <laughs>
0: yeah, me too, man. Yeah, it's it's been fun to see you on Instagram and, uh, and chat with you, and I. but I don't know your story, so I'm going to dig into it today. So why don't we start at the very beginning? What's your background? Where'd you come from? How'd you get into this world of real estate?
1: Yeah, so my name is Billy. I go by Billy Duck Kid, which is D H A K-I-D-D-A-K-A-B-D-K. I also started branding Lord of the Land is what I want to start branding for landlord stuff, basically some investing. Instead of landlord, that's funny. Yeah, pretty clever, right? (laughs) But, you know, people always say that uh, they started from zero or from nothing. And I always like to tell people that I wish I would have started from zero. I started from negative 100. Uh, (laughs) I was born in El Salvador. I grew up with no running water, no electricity. I remember my mom had to start A fire, like a camping trip basically to cook for us. So yeah, poverty, violence, and then some domestic violence with my stepfather uh, back then. And so my mother decided to leave for the U.S. for a better life in hopes of one day also bringing me and my sister along with her. And she left us with my grandma out there and among other aunts that were kind of helping us take care of us. And there was basically some physical and mental abuse going on. So my mom kind of started hearing about it here in the States at that time. So about three years after she had left, she came back, got us and brought us to the U.S. I was also like to say that it wasn't by choice. I was 10 years old, brought us to the U.S. We lived in Santa Ana for a few years and... Once I got to Santa Ana, man, I remember I felt like I had made it, you know, having we had carpet. So I felt like I was a king. We had a running toilet. So that was amazing. It's like the little stuff that we take for granted here. I remember we used to live in a two bedroom apartment and one bedroom was for me, my sister and my mom, while the other bedroom was for uh, another full family. And at times we even rented the living room just so we could be able to afford the rent, basically moved back and forth we went to oakland i remember at one point i'm a raiders fan oh you're in uh, my
2: hood billy
1: (laughs) oh was i i'm in oakland (laughs) all the time yeah (laughs) nice that's amazing yeah and and i'm a raiders fan so but at that time the area that my mom had uh, moved to was a little too much basically you know the crime and everything which part of oakland was it east oakland ah you know I don't remember. I'll be honest with you. I just remember we heard gunshots on one of the nights and it was only like a two week stay that we did. And we came right back (laughs) Santa Ana. And then my mom decided to move to Nebraska after talking to an aunt that we had here. And in Nebraska, rent was cheaper. Everything was cheaper. So she kind of found like the, the perfect world you could say. Uh, So we moved out here, no family. My aunt actually ended up moving probably like within the year that we moved here. So no family. So As a single mother, seeing her struggle like that, it was kind of like my, the fire that I had, you could say. And I never really had anyone to give me advice. Obviously, I couldn't call a father, you know, a male figure to give me any advice. If anything, I'm the one who gave my mom advice because at 18 years old, when I was trying to fix my credit, I had to help her fix her credit. And even buying my first house at 24, then that's when she ended up buying her house because I kind of put her through the process of it. Yeah, ne- I never really had any guidance uh, with that. But once in Nebraska, then we also had a little bit of health food stamps and, you know, Section A, just uh, it seemed like poverty was always there around us, if that makes sense. And to make things even worse, while I was in Nebraska in high school, then I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, alcohol, drugs, parties, skipping school, just doing dumb stuff. And I think a lot of it was from not having a father figure, which obviously, it's easy to to blame that. But now that I look back, it's like, I didn't have to do half of the stuff that I did. But obviously, when you don't have guidance, then it's easier to do it. And that's when I fell in love with hip hop was around that time. And uh, I remember hearing some Spanish rap as well. And it made me think like, you know what, I can do that too. Start freestyling at parties. And then I remember I bought my first studio time when I was 16 years old. So really music is what kind of saved me. And at that time, there were some peers that were getting locked up while they were doing crazy stuff. I was kind of taking my struggles and my pain through the mic. So it was like therapy for me. And that's when I recorded my first album. And that first album, I actually got signed to a major distribution deal through Universal, which it was probably the best thing I did now looking back. But at the time, it was the worst thing because they ended up basically taking my album. And, you know, at the time I had a put all my savings that I saved from working at fast food. Plus I had to borrow money from friends, family. And I even took out my first credit card, which it helped me because that's how I started my credit. Uh, It was with, you know, a $500 credit for my first album, recorded it. I made a thousand copies and I hit the streets with those thousand copies. And I just started selling them here in the Midwest. And um, again, the label never did their part. So Since they never did their part, that's where I realized, like, you know what? I need to step up. And I started my first LLC. So after all that, it was a great thing. I remember MySpace was big at the time. And that was really the only promotional. Otherwise, I had to hit the streets with CDs and a couple thousand CDs at 10, 15 bucks a pop. I mean, that was a nice little come up at that time. And so, but it taught me a lot. It taught me taxes, it taught me accounting. And so I was able to copy and paste the process to my next ventures after that. So
2: I would venture to propose that your experience with that sort of entrepreneurial small business endeavor you took off with gave you a foundation that all the knowledge you learned about real estate had a place to settle into. I don't have a great analogy for that. I've just seen it so many times that people who let's say you just went from fast food straight to real estate. When you learn things about real estate, you don't know like how to classify that information or what to do with it. And so they fail versus when they had a job or an opportunity or an experience in life that gave them some kind of a foundation in how business worked, income, expenses, management. When they get into real estate, it clicks. They're like, oh, I just get it. It's maybe similar to how like the wrestler white belt going into jujitsu class has a massive advantage over the basketball player. Right? It's it's not the same, but it gives them a foundation to build on. So for people listening, I think that's a really big piece to take from what Billy's about to talk to us about is like, that's why you got to keep doing stuff. You got to keep moving forward. You got to keep taking action because you never know. Even if that one thing didn't make you explode, what you learned there could contribute to later. So I have a couple questions for you here, Billy. The first one is tell us what your portfolio looks like today.
1: So right now I am at 22 doors. They're all single families, duplexes. That's been my niche that I've tried to grow. And then right now I'm working on a flip. I did a flip last year and I got a rental that I'm about to get under contract. so. So how many total? 22, Okay. 22 total. 22 units or properties? Uh, Units, doors.
2: Units, okay. And then over how many properties is that?
1: 18, 18. So there's a few duplexes in there, but most of them are single family.
2: So you've got some experience with knowing what to look for, seeing what goes wrong, as well as managing the assets, which is, in my opinion, what shows like ours and other shows don't get into enough is we're always talking about how to get that deal. But then once you get it, what's that line in the joker? I'm like a dog chasing cars. I don't know what to do with it. Once I (laughs) catch it, right? Like that's, that's a big part of real estate. So first off, let's hear about your first deal. And then we'll ask you about how you, how you're managing these doors you have under control.
1: Sounds good. So the first deal, the agent that I had at the time helping me, you know, I was brand new and the agent that was helping me basically almost gave up on me because I was so, you know, I want this much, I I can only spend this much. I was just, I had it all lined up and uh, now looking back, it's like, okay, I I understand. Um, And they, they weren't really investors friendly, but they worked with me and and we got a few, probably like three, four doors, you know, that we worked together at that beginning stage. But uh, the first house, 50 grand is what I found it for. Uh, They wanted originally 80 and from 80, I offered 75. I always tell people, always offer less. You know, that's always the asking price. Obviously, what they're asking is not what you're going to give. So, and then there were some roof issues that the house had. So, I started a roofing company a year and a half before that. And so that really helped me get in this into this deal like oh hey i know a roofer so basically we we took over the house we did the roof and now it's worth probably 150. and that was in omaha in lincoln lincoln okay yep
2: all right so with that deal what drew
1: you to it so with the music uh, and then the construction company that i started basically i started noticing that it's like okay I need something for the future and and that's where I started learning about generational wealth and that is why I try to stay away from flipping. I do some flip if it 's a great deal, i'll do it, but yeah, that was kind of like the drive behind that and like I said since then it's been a great path so
2: and you bought that with money saved up from working in fast food
1: so when I was a teen, I used to work fast food. And when I was 18, I started a job at a uh, call center. And in that call center, I was that's where I actually worked for 14 years, aging myself now, but I worked for 14 years there. And that was my last job as of uh, almost going on two years now.
2: I'm curious, what did you learn at that call center that you now use in your business that maybe other people don't?
1: Great question. Customer service. And so it was over the phone, obviously, call center. But I learned customer service. And before it was a customer service, uh, it was a telemarketing firm. That was, I was literally in the middle when the government cracked down on telemarketing. I'm sure you guys remember hearing about it. Uh, And so the company pivoted into customer service at that time. So yeah, sales and customer service. And honestly, man, I'll tell you right now, at that time, I talk about it on my book and I was happy. Like, oh my God, I'm for, you know, I, the longer I can keep a job, the more I'm better in society, if that makes sense. So, you know, my mom was proud and the wife was actually the, on the opposite end. She would basically go out and, uh find a job every year or two, you know, and and I was like, oh my God, you're crazy, you know, and that's kind of what I talk about in the book, because the book is called The Power of Being Uncomfortable. And now looking back, I wish that I would have quit after a year or two of being in that firm, and maybe go get a job at a property management company. And then after that, maybe go get a handyman job, because that would have taught me more that I, I would need to know now, if that makes sense. So Society kind of did that to me, you know, and the longer you could work at a job and the better you'll be, I guess, but. Were these outgoing calls or were these incoming calls? So 100% outgoing at the beginning. And then after that, they were customer service. And I moved up as a manager, so it was a little bit easier for me after.
2: I think, you know, there's people that make the argument that everybody in a country should be required to join the military like they do in Israel, because it gives you a perspective that you wouldn't get just at whatever your family happened to expose you to. And I think it, it sort of creates a collective, like, I am a part of something bigger. I really feel for anyone that's going to work in sales or something like real estate investing where there's a sales component that you have to be reaching out and hunting. That might be a better way to put it. Someone that has to hunt what they want should work in a call center because I can imagine having a cold call people and figure out how to make this conversation not awkward, <laughs> how to adjust your tone to cater to the. There's probably a lot of soft skills that you learned in there that help you now where your competition's like, I don't know. I don't want to call them. What if they don't? What if they're mean to me? Exactly. Yeah. So can you share just a little bit about how that affected your mindset with ways that you can now reach out to people where you see others struggle with.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, uh, even starting with my CDs, I wasn't scared to go up to somebody and be like, Hey, best city you're going to buy out of right now <laughs> where you're at right now in the area best city you're going to buy i wasn't scared of doing that you know i would post up at a walgreens uh, local walgreens or in omaha and just the uh, areas here denver and uh, i was just literally play my music through my van i had to wrap that van and so yeah i wasn't scared to do that because of that job so it's the same with real estate when i talk to some of these sellers those skills come to mind. There's some, you know, certain questions. For example, if I was selling a T-shirt, for example, I wouldn't be like, "So, do you want to buy it?" It'd be more like, "Okay, so what color do you want? Hey, what size are you?" Those are the little stuff that I learned in that call center that has definitely uh, helped me now. That's cool, man.
0: All right, so I want to I want to jump back into your story a little bit. So you got that first property out there in Lincoln. Is that where all your properties are at? Is Lincoln? Yeah. Okay, cool. And Lincoln's a cheaper market, right? I mean, like you said, 50k. I think it was that first one.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yep.
0: That's awesome. All right. So let's talk about how you built that. Cause no matter how cheap the market is, I don't care how many it is. Buying 22 doors is a monumental feat. And most people listening to the show are probably like, shoot, I I can't even get my first deal. So how did you do? I mean, how did you do that? If you could talk broad, like how did you go from that first deal to owning all these properties you now, 18, some properties and buying more? How'd you build your team? How'd you finance them? How'd you find them? Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Uh so the first few were just through the MLS. Actually, I want to say up to probably 10 doors. It was just MLS. I wasn't doing anything special. My brain had just shifted at that time. Like I said, wanting to build generational wealth at that point. And so basically I just started looking through Zillow, nothing special. So anybody out there listening, I mean, start with Zillow. Start with Realtor. I mean, all those websites that you can go to, you'll find you could even put down some the numbers that you want to spend and kind of hit a quick search and you could find some deals. A lot of times also what I did is I followed the house that maybe I wanted. So I always hit the follow or the like or whatever you want to call it. And then there were times where maybe the deal fell through for whoever was going to purchase it. And a few months later, I got a a notification saying, hey, this house is back on the market. So now I would go in there as soon as it came back. Knowing that, hey, you know what? These people are probably more than likely going to lower the price. They want to sell it quicker now that it fell through. So that's actually helped me a couple of times. But uh, yeah, I didn't do nothing special. And then until later on, which was uh, the beginning of last year, then I, I started putting up bandit signs. And then I started hitting up some real estate meetings, wholesalers. I, I just started telling people, hey, I'm an investor. I came more out of the shell, if that makes sense. I became the land of, or the lord of the land uh, at that point. Lord so- of the land. (laughs) (laughs) yep so i honestly just letting people know that you're an investor will get you far and then from there i met an older investor that was selling one property that had a portfolio that hey once i get or i would let him know hey once you get ready to sell the other ones let me know so that's really how i uh i did that and then last year i got the eight doors that uh, oh yeah eight doors i want to say last year alone just off of that wow
0: that's awesome, man. So, uh, what about financing? Were you saving up down payments for all these? Or are you doing any other creative strategies?
1: So, I've been doing the Burr method a lot. Thanks to David Green, uh, I, I read your book too on that, and uh, it's it's a great book. But yeah, I started doing Burr and. Honestly, the biggest thing I see that uh, even with that strategy that stops people is the refinancing part. You know, oh, I got to wait this long, or but what I've been doing that worked for me is talk to different bankers. Like once you get that no, going back to my job, it's like you get that no, it gets you closer to that yes. And when one banker would say, "Oh, sorry, yeah, we don't do that," I would go to the next one and the next one until until I started finding banks that would actually work with my with what I wanted to do. And yeah, that's how I did that.
0: That's great, man. All right, so the burst strategies, can you explain that for those who maybe are new to the show, haven't heard that word burr before? How does that work? And maybe giving us an example of one of your properties, how it's worked for you.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'll actually do the very first one. So the first one, it was a wholesaler that was selling it. Uh, I bought it for 45. So that's the first, uh, the burr, the B, buy. I bought it for 45K. And I wanna say they were asking like 55. So yeah, I, uh, again, Throw, throw some numbers out there and you'll be surprised how many times that'll work. And so I I offered 45. They took it and that house, the next is the R, the repair, which that house needed, uh, in my mind or the numbers that I wrote down and that I came up with, it needed like 20,000 of repairs is what I gathered. But at the end, I want to say I ended up spending 10 to 15 K. And the reason behind that is. When I walked in there, I was like, okay, this is a great deal. I'm going to leave this house brand new is what I thought, right? Well, with my construction company, my guys kind of guided me, and they were like, why are you putting a brand new LVP flooring on this if we could refinish it? So I was kind of like, okay. I'm like... Because And in my mind, I'm like, because I got the budget, right? So I did that. I went along with what they told me. Another thing was the windows. I was going to replace all brand new windows. And they're like, hey, these windows work perfectly fine. He, you know, one of my guys was like, let me show you what I can do. And so the next day I came back, he had cleaned it up, recocked it, did all this little stuff that, honestly, the window looked brand new, threw some paint on it. I was like, okay. So that's one thing I, I like to tell people is just because you have that budget, right? If you could stretch it out like that, then that's even more money on, on the back end. So, you know, what's the interesting point there? I don't
0: think we've ever talked about this on the show, but talking to your con like other people, like your contractor, with ideas, like instead of just like, this is my scope of work, I created it, I am the lord of the land today, you have no <laughs> say. That's how that's how most real estate investors approach their scopes of work, but. I love the idea of talking with your contractors and like asking their opinion. And what would you do in this case? Now keep in mind, a lot of contractors just are just morons and they're going to do something stupid and they're going to waste a lot of money, but not always. And a lot would say most of the time, they're good people who are going to give you a good idea. And so like, for example, I mean like the reason I say that because sometimes like I'd have contractors, that would just like paint over every outlet. Cause it's just faster to paint over the outlet <laughs> than it is to take the outlet off. Right. It's like, there are cases where they, they will want to save time and money for the, and make more money for themselves. But like, we just don't know what they know. And so relying on other people is such a great tip. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, let me ask you about the the lending thing. You know, a lot of people do struggle with, with the the burst strategy. Everyone loves it and they want to get in there and they want to buy the property and refinance it. And then, oh no, the appraisal doesn't come in high enough. That's one of the biggest fears. I'm wondering if you have any, if you've ever encountered that and how you make sure that your value at the end of the project before you refinance it, how do you make sure that value is where it needs to be?
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, Brandon, that, uh, no matter what you're doing with the property. And so, again, I'm a contractor myself. I own a construction company. Mm. And what I always tell my clients is this. You make money when you buy, not when you sell. And I feel like that's the biggest issue with the contractor and flippers or investors overall, because when they come and uh, let's say they do the scope of work and we give them the number, it's like, oh, wow, that's a lie. You're not a cheap contractor, right, for example. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, but you bought wrong. So I always like to tell people, hey, you make money when you buy, not when you sell.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I'm going to throw this one at you as well, David. David, as the author of the Burr book, how do you deal with things like, oh, the appraisal's not high enough, or even just any just general tips on lending in this case, since you're also a lender?
2: The first thing I'll say is in long distance investing, I talked about exactly what Billy says. Right, I actually don't put a lot of confidence in my own ability to design the interior. It's just not something I'm good at. As Brandon would know, the first thing he ever told me when we met was, you need to lose weight and dress better. I'm not good (laughs) at looking good.
1: He always denies it, but I have the memory
0: of an elephant. And so that's how I I I run. I said, don't wear pajamas. Don't wear pajamas. That's Uh, all I said. That's
2: a nice way to put it. That's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is I would go to my contractors and say, look, here's what I would like. To do what would you do differently, or what colors do you think we should use? And if they're like me, you can tell, uh, you know, I really don't want to be the one to tell you, okay, I'm not gonna rely on you. But many times they're like, Well, all my other clients are doing boom, 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 boom. Oh, awesome! I got a whole menu, I could just pick what I like. And so, I think, Billy, that's a great piece of advice you said don't try to be the person who knows that realm when the contractor works in that space every single freaking day and they know what is going, and they also know what's on sale. They're like, well, if you go that tile, it's going to cost this much, but Home Depot, I was just there this morning and they have this one for much cheaper. Now, when it comes to the lending, here's what I would say. Even though the refinance, well, repeat is the last step, but refinance is the last practical step in the Burr model. That doesn't mean you address it last. You actually want to start with the end in mind and start there first. So what I tell people is get pre-approved before you ever even go buy the house with the cash or the hard money loan or whatever you're going to do. Don't just hope that when you get to refinance, you can get a loan. If you're somebody who makes oodles of money and has no problem getting a loan, you can just go to a bank and say, like, what could you do for me? And oftentimes, banks, if they see that you're very well qualified, you have a ton of cash in your account, they will give you perks. And I'm saying banks like Wells Fargo Chase, somewhere you can just walk right in and get a loan. That's your best option. If you're all the rest of us in the world that aren't in that situation... I say you should go to a broker. Now, what brokers do is they go to all the other banks and most banks don't have, I shouldn't say most, many banks don't have brick and mortar locations, okay? So like my company, we're a brokerage. So you would come to us and say, look, I wanna get a loan, what would I have to do? We would look at your financials and then we would go find the bank for you that does it and then we bring you your options. We're like, look, this bank is offering this rate with these terms, this is what we can do for you. And we collect all the documentation the bank's gonna need. So and again, just like people think that the scope of work is something they gotta figure out on the rehab. The lending is not something you should have to go from bank to bank to bank. Man, I used to do that all the time myself to find the one that would give me the loan. Now I just go to a broker who has relationships and not all brokers are the same. Some work with two banks, and that's all they wanna deal with. You know, Our brokerage has like 50 or something because our vision is that investors come to us and say, I need a loan and it's our job to go figure out how they can get it. So that is the advice I would give there is start with that, figure out what type of loan you could get understand the numbers and then bake that into what you're looking for with your deal.
1: Yeah, no, and and it goes back to what I said earlier that that bank tells you, no, go to the next one and the next one. Once you find one, too, what's nice about it is now I have relationships with a lot of these bankers. I put a bid actually on a um, million dollar apartment complex here in Lincoln. I didn't get it, but. Just knowing that the banker had my back and he had shown me that what the numbers were going to look like made me feel better. Like, hey, you know what? I can do this in the future for sure. So it's that relationship that you build with the lender that's important. Very true. We're always looking for
3: ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening, they've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I and use the code Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments
1: can lead to loss.
0: All right. So you got you got these 22 units now and growing portfolio. How are you managing this, this whole empire?
1: At first, it was just me going in there, painting, doing whatever I had to do, then the showing. Uh, so I was a one-man army. But one thing that I've been trying to do best now is treat it like a company. So from there, my wife actually just quit her job uh, during the summer this year. So she took over the management portion of it. And then with the construction, then I have my crew. So in the future, even with that management, I think we're going to, she's already looking at getting her broker's license here in Nebraska. You need your broker's license to run a management company for others. So now we're looking into that here in a couple of years, hopefully we'll open up shop for that. So really just kind of all around in in the real estate world, if that makes sense with the construction management and everything else. You said, quote, treat it like a company.
0: I love that phrase, but what does that mean to you? What does it mean to treat your rental property management like a company versus like what most people just do? landlord?
1: Yeah, really just basically stepping outside yourself and realizing that this thing is gonna go faster if you get the right people around you. And that was the biggest thing for me is realizing like, you know what, Uh, I'm over here doing a one man show. And, and honestly, at first though, you have to do that. I always tell people it's that Mamba mentality, like Kobe, right? Like you have to hustle, hustle, hard work. Uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, let your money work. But it's. I feel like the working smarter comes after the, the hard work. Yeah, you can't skip that first step. You have to hustle, hustle, work hard, then go to the next step, which is uh, working smarter. And I feel like that's how you build an empire. Once you start working smarter, it's kind of like you graduate to that next level. Then you, you could build that big empire from there. So that's kind of where I'm at now is like looking around like, okay, I have the right people on my team. Now I just need to be focused on growing this thing even further.
2: Brandon, didn't you have a, a good analogy of a plane taken off to describe this, like working hard and then transitioning into working smart and leverage? I have no idea what you're talking wow. about. That's <laughs> how many brilliant ideas you have. That you don't. It's like asking Floyd Mayweather, don't you have a Lamborghini that's brown? And he's a,
0: uh? I, I, I put together a book outline one time called Lift, yeah. L-I-F-T. Yeah, Lift, right? And it was all about like, yeah, I guess, I guess I do have one. I don't remember. That's all funny of what that I, said, I know your are yeah, better than you do. <laughs> I know, you know my analogy better. The idea was, yeah, when, when building a plane, right? Most planes never take off the ground. You have the right pieces, but you have the right velocity, you have the right a lot of things. And so, uh, when you have all this stuff lined up, lift is not like magic. It's just the result. It's just the end result of doing the right processes ahead of time. And so, and in reality, like when a plane takes off, it's almost like effortless. That's easy. I mean, it's just, it's just natural law of the world. Like it just, it lifts because of that's how the world works. Right. And I think when you run a good business, it's like lift. It's like you've achieved lift because of the things that you set up to do. So I guess that was the idea.
2: The part that i took from it was in the beginning like what billy was saying it's massive effort when you're on the runway yes right you're like all systems go burning a ton of gas you feel that oh you're in the plane when it's taken off and then if you hit hard work the plane will start to ascend and when you hit ten thousand feet or whatever planes coast at you kick it into autopilot it doesn't take nearly as much work it's sort of smooth and that's when you're working harder is that billy what you kind of felt like your business is done
1: yeah Exactly, for sure. And then I think, shout out to Colin, Uh, one of the analogies I got from him, a local investor here in Omaha you know, he said that one of his mentors, uh, and just to tie everything up, how you guys were talking about the end result. And one of the things he spoke about on my podcast was he said, hey, you know, my mentor told me to write down my eology, basically my funeral speech. And he's like, work backwards from that. And that hit me hard. That hit me hard. I was like, wow. So going back to what David was saying uh, with uh, lending, for example, it's like, make sure your numbers are already ready to go and then work back from that. So I think in general, in life, if you do that, if you look at that speech, I guarantee you're going to take massive action. You're going to work harder than, than a normal person that wouldn't write that speech.
0: So true, true story The about the, yeah, reading your, uh, your eulogy or whatever, you're like a guy named Alfred Nobel, like the guy from the Nobel prize. Right. So he was like the, I don't think an inventor, but like the inventor basically of like dynamite and like blowing things up and like led to the death of Tons of people. Anyway, so one time he picked up the newspaper and there was an obituary in there of him like himself that said and it was called the merchant of death and it was that he had died. Well, somebody got it wrong. They screwed up and they thought he died. And so they wrote this obituary for him in the newspaper and he read his own obituary and he realized that his legacy was going to be one of being the merchant of death, having killed people. And so he changed his entire life around, turned it around and started promoting peace, hence the Nobel prize, which we have today. So uh, just kind of a cool little anecdote about, about, yeah, when you look at the end of your life, what what do you want to be known for? Exactly. uh, What's that? Yeah. So kind of cool.
1: And it's all, all mindset at the end of the day, uh, you know, when, Literally, I knew that when I was working that job, I wanted freedom, right? Like I wanted freedom. That's the reason why I was hustling selling CDs. Honestly, I could have quit my job then because I already had numbers. Uh And it's about taking calculated risks too. I already had my numbers worked out and saying, okay, if I sell this many CDs every weekend or every two weeks, uh, if I do this many shows, then that means my bills are paid. But I still didn't Take my shot yet. I was waiting again with the calculated risk. Then I started my construction company. I could have also quit then. And then now with the real estate, obviously now putting it all together, all that was worth it. And it's all mindset. I know I hear that a lot with you guys with the uh, lawn mowing, for example, Uh, you know, the $50 task. Well, that $50 task made me a multimillionaire. And the reason why I say that is because Every time I would hit that lawnmower, uh, there was something about, like the smell, the just the, hearing the birds, and I had my headphones on, listening to a podcast, listening to you guys, listening to any other interviews that were out there, listening to an audiobook, and that literally every hour that I did, every week or two or whatever, changed my life, and it was all mindset. Uh, so I always like to say, you could look at it the other way or this way. It's all mindset, honestly you know, people say they're waiting for the economy to change or the real estate market to change in order for them to jump on. And it's like literally they know what needs to change is their philosophy. Their mindset is what needs to change. Nothing else matters once you do that. So change your thinking. And once I changed that thinking, everything around me changed. I stopped blaming the government. I stopped crying about taxes or the market. I took responsibility. And it was like the crazy thing about it is that it was these uh, little life concepts and I call them ABC concepts. Uh, reason why I call them ABC concepts because they're simple for example make your bed I'm sure you guys have heard that book it's like how easy is that right but not many people can do it and once you start doing those little things or magic of thinking big miracle morning the 5 a.m club I can go on and on it's easier said than done so many read those but they don't follow through and so that's kind of why I wrote my book too was to help inspire people to motivate them to take action basically
2: I think that's something Jocko Willink has figured out really, really good is that life is all about momentum. And he starts his day off by waking up at 4 a.m. Disclaimer, I don't wake up at 4 a.m. So I'm not <laughs> pretending to be Jocko. And he works out and his theory is that if I start my day with a workout, I have now built positive momentum. I now want to eat something healthier for breakfast. And now I'm going out of a workout and a good meal starting my workday when my my competition is probably in bed or just now getting up or hitting the snooze alarm. So now I'm getting a head start and I'm jumping ahead. And now when they finally get to the office, I've got a 30% lead. Okay, So now I'm even more encouraged to just go for the kill. And he just makes sure if he starts his day off right, he will build momentum throughout the day, which will build momentum throughout life, which will open up all the doors Jaco has. He's now producing clothing and he's selling supplements and his consulting company. I think he charged like a hundred thousand dollars an hour or something like that. I looked into having him speak to my mastermind and it was pretty expensive. He's got all these great things that are going in his life because of momentum, which is really what you're talking about, Billy. Like it's hard to just say, I'm going to go buy 22 units. It's much easier to say, I'm going to start making my bed. All right, and now I'm going to make sure that I, I planned my day the night before so I know what I'm getting into today. And as you build that momentum, these tasks that seem very difficult for someone listening right now become easier. And I to me, that's what I'm taking out of what you're saying is you have absolute control over what you think. Like you said, you quit blaming people and the small steps that you take. And if you just get those two things right, how it typically works out is everything else lines up for you.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I can't remember what book this was from, but even, you know, there was a a book that basically said how about how this billionaire woke up and he wouldn't get out of bed until he had a tear of joy of being thankful coming down his uh, cheek. And and that hit me hard because at that time, I, and that's the thing, I've always been thankful for everything, even, you know, people always say money isn't everything, but it's like, uh, it is when you when you see the stuff that I've seen. It's like uh, you you kind of need money to you know to retire my mom. I, I want to have money to retire her. And uh, they always say, "Oh, I'd rather ride the bus than be happy riding the bus." Basically, than having money. And it's like. Uh, I rode the bus and, you know, I used to ride the bus to school and it wasn't, it wasn't that yeah, happy. When there, <laughs>
2: not when there's crime on the bus, exactly, you know, Yeah. right. Yeah. And, and that, I agree with you. That philosophy is so oversimplified. It's easy to say that until your kid gets sick and you need money to help them. And then what happens is they're going to other people who have been working hard and saying, can I have your money? So I'm not saying don't ask for help if you need it, but just that philosophy, it's, it's, there's like that old story of the ant that worked all and stored food away versus the grasshopper that played all summer. And then when winter came, the grasshopper had to go to the ant. I I really like what you're mentioning there. What I want to ask you, Billy, when it comes to managing the assets that you've got, what have you found has been the hardest part you weren't expecting? Is it managing the rent collection? Is it expenses that you didn't think were going to pop up? Like, What's your biggest hurdle or struggle that you're facing with these 22 units you already own?
1: I think it's planning and not that I didn't plan, but I think the hardest part of it is uh, how these people kind of get up and leave and they leave a mess, if that makes sense. And when I was right there and then, you know, it had to be me picking up and me doing everything. Thank God now I have, you know, uh, systems in place that take me away from that. But I think that was the hardest part is how these people think that it's a robot that goes in there and just picks up everything and cleans it up for the next tenant. But I also me being the nice guy that I am, I feel like a lot of people kind of took advantage of that too. And so it, basically I learned the hard way that uh, I had to have that business mindset and and I did, but I was too nice. So now having systems in place and policies written down, which is important too, uh a lot of people think, Oh, I have it in my head, right? Like here's, these are my policies. And it's like, no, you, you got to write them down, type them up. And you'd be surprised how easy that is to send to your lawyer when you need it for an eviction, for example.
0: Is there anything Billy that you would say has been, I mean, not just in the management, but just overall, what's been the biggest challenge to get to where you are today in terms of the 22 units you now have, like what's been the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome?
1: As far as real estate, I think the biggest hurdle was that was me thinking that, uh, I had more control (laughs) doing everything myself. And, uh, little did I know that things would get done faster when I started bringing people in my team and people that I trusted and get things done. And even better than I can, I would type up a paper and, you know, uh, there's people that can make it look nicer than me and and send it out faster than me. As as easy as that is, uh, it does take time. So I think just those systems, uh, not having those systems in place at the beginning. Mentally, I thought I did. But uh, now looking back, it's like, okay, and if you want to grow this thing to 50 units, then you got to have those systems down and policies in place. Brandon, what have
2: you found in your business that sort of like how, what Billy's talking about here, where you got to have systems in place and when they were developed, what advice do you have for people that are getting started now and don't necessarily need a system, but will in the future?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I look at it like everything that I do, I want to be a quitter. I want to quit and I want to never have to do that job again. And so everything from answering the phones, if I never wanted to answer a phone again, then what would I have to do so I never have to answer a phone again? That's the system. That's how I create every system. is like, if I never had to do this again, but I needed it done perfectly well, what does that look like? So sometimes it's a checklist or a process or a piece of paper or a online documents. It's something that just works. so I don't have to do that thing again. I always say like, I don't always say this, but I'll say like, the systems is a mindset, like the, like the, the, it's like a mindset of systems. It's the way that you think, I think in systems now, I don't think in actions. Uh, so when you start from that and you start making systems about little things like answering the phone or how you're going to screen tenants, right? Oh, the screen tenants, this is what we do. It's a 10 step checklist. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All of a sudden that becomes a system now that in the future, even if you do it yourself, you're not going to outsource it yet. You now have a system that you can follow every time and then improve it next time. Oh yeah, I forgot to ask about job history on this tenant screening. Okay, add that to the system. Now, two years later, three years later, when you no longer want to do that, it is really easy to shift that over to a virtual assistant or a local assistant or somebody else to handle it because it's been refined and perfected by you. Uh, and so again, I would just say the best thing with systems is just to start making systems right now, to to train your mind to think that way. What about you, David?
1: And I was just going to say, yeah, I think when you build a business, no matter what type of business it is in a franchise model, I think that's where you have that handbook and and you can just hand it over and sell it to whoever, and it's going to be the same thing over and over. So I love that you said that, Brendan. I think that'd be a great way to look at any business is how would I franchise this?
2: Yeah. What do you mean by that?
1: Basically, for example, uh, we're looking at the management company that we're going to start here with my wife and our goal as well is for her to lead the office, be in there, but get out of it, right? And in order for her to do that, we're gonna have to build it like franchise. So what I mean by that is all the systems that we're gonna have in place, we could start this company anywhere in the world after Lincoln, Nebraska. We could go to California, Texas, and follow the same procedure, kind of like Burger King or all these other companies. You know, they just pop up out of nowhere, so.
0: You know, there's a really good book out there. It's called Built to Sell by a guy named John Wardlow very much on this mindset, this thought. The the idea of the book is like how to sell your business. But what I loved about it was more like how to create a business that is sellable. And that's more important. In other words, how to create a franchisable type business, uh, which any business in the world could be, that you can get out of, you can stay into, it just makes it easier. So anyway, just book recommendation for everyone, Built to Sell by John Wardlow. Really good. Anyway, David, what you were gonna say on that?
2: What I was saying is if you've disciplined yourself to consider that any endeavor you take on, you're going to have to franchise it. It would really, really tighten up the way that you do run your business. There's always in my head, what I experience in life is there's this struggle between it's faster if I do it myself and it's better if I get someone else to do it. And it takes discipline to build a system that somebody else can execute. And that's why very few of us do it. But as you become successful, which is the goal, like what Billy's learning now that he has 22 units, I'm sure is the fast way I'll go do it myself leaves you spending 16 hours a day running as fast as you can to do everything and then you hate what you earned so you accomplish your goal you're like finally and then you wish you wouldn't have had it it's that that uh, wolf by the ears thing right i can't let it go cuz it's going to bite me but i also i'm safe if i just keep doing it myself so
1: And to add on to that, I I think it reminded me of the question too that you guys asked me of what has been the hardest part. It's also changing that mindset because where I'm coming from, we had to do what we had to do. So that mindset is huge. You have to really evaluate yourself once you hit a certain level and say, okay, I can't worry about coupons at Burger King anymore, right? Uh, Like I used to you know, back then, Uh, now it's like I can afford whatever... If you want a triple whopper or whatever you want, <laughs> and so it's shifting that mindset. And so, yeah, I just wanted to add on to that.
0: Awesome, man. Well, this has been phenomenal. We're not quite done yet. I want to shift to the next segment of the show, but uh, before I do, I'm just curious: where do you see yourself headed in the future? What do you want your portfolio to look like? Or your business to look like? What kind of real estate you're going to buy? Where are you headed?
1: Yeah. So. I definitely want to look into syndication uh, in the future. Uh, that's definitely something that the more I learn, but it, you know, again, it's mindset and it's being thankful where you're at. I'm very happy where I'm at and what I've noticed is that everything I've wanted has happened so far if that makes sense. So now that I'm looking at doing syndication, maybe somebody who reads my book or listens to this podcast or my podcast or whatever they might bring me a deal. I'm I've learned that just the law of attraction honestly has, <laughs> has worked a lot of, in my life. You know, that's how I have my, my bands now. And you know, that's how I have my house now. Like it's a new built home and, and it wasn't me. Uh, obviously it started from working hard, but like I said, I graduated to working smarter. And then now it's like, I'm writing new goals down. Uh, writing goals is super important. Uh, actually what I do is I have an iPhone and on that iPhone something, you know, maybe this helps somebody out there. That's the first thing I see in the morning. And obviously you've heard the opposite, right? But the reason why that's the first thing I look at in the morning is my screen is basically my goals. So as soon as I wake up, I read my goals to myself, right? From finances to family to faith. So I have it all written down. And that's the first thing I see in the morning and then at night. And again, I'm big on working on yourself. There's days that, you know, we're human, right? There's days where I don't hit my run man, I feel it, you know, that, that week mentally, it's crazy for me. So if you do everything mentally, I think the world will bring whatever you want to the table. And so that, that's kind of where I'm heading next is the, you know, I, I want some units, but honestly, otherwise, if I just hit a hundred doors, uh single family and duplexes, I, I'll definitely be happy too. So
2: I'll add one caveat to what or maybe not caveat, but I'll add like an extension of that philosophy that Billy just said. Here's why I think that's the smartest thing anyone listening can do. Most of us look at life from a narcissistic perspective. What do I want and how do I get it? And so we look for an opportunity and we try to say, well, like where is the thing I want? How do I go take it? The way the world works, though, is nobody cares what you want. They care what they want. All of us are narcissists in that way. And so what happens is we have a thing we want and we go out there and say, how do I find a person, a system, a software, a something that will help me get what I want? The wise people are the ones that say, I'm going to figure out how to make myself what other people would want and be the answer for them. And then the world just comes to you. Everyone comes and says, Billy, show me how to do this thing. Teach, can you buy this deal? This person needs to sell their house. Like whatever it is that you've made yourself good at, the world will bring it to your doorstep, but it's not this like esoteric, weird, the secret type thing going on. It actually makes a lot of sense. It's that. Everybody looks at the world and says, how do I get what I want? And if you're the person that's good at giving people what they want, it will come to you. And that's why it's so important that we have systems, because the more things we have in place to manage what we've already accumulated, the more of ourselves we have free to go and accumulate more. Anything you want to change about that, Brandon, or add on? No, I think that's pretty solid, man. I think that's really good. I just want to shift over and head to the deal deep dive. All right,
0: we're going to dive into the deal, a deep dive today uh, with uh, Billy, the kid, and like all those D's, the alliterations are coming back. Uh, (laughs) I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We already kind of started, I think, that that was what I was looking for. (laughs) Uh, We kind of started earlier, I I believe, the, the deal I asked you about earlier, but let's continue that. So, number one, what... In the deal, they have to have, what kind of property is this and where was it located?
1: So this one was a single family home in Lincoln, Nebraska. I, and uh, like I said, I got it from a wholesaler for 45,000. And uh, I think earlier what I was mentioning was my budget was 20 grand. Well, after shortening up everything, now that we've refinished the floor instead of putting LVP or fixing the windows instead of putting brand new windows, I want to say I cut that in half, ten twelve thousand 12,000 instead. And so... Once I got that place rented, uh, I actually ended up refinancing it for $10,000 more than what it was. So now I took that money and repeated it. So you might've just
2: covered the whole deep dive in one statement <laughs> there. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, anything in particular you did for negotiation to get that
0: deal?
1: Uh, so it was the, the 55K is what they were asking. So really just talking, man, uh, communication, that's key. Just talk to these people. They're humans and... They want to sell as bad as you want to buy.
0: I love that you said that. They want to sell as bad as you want to buy. Sometimes we think of like a real estate transaction as like us against them. And there's like this like anger against the two sides, but we all, yeah, we all have the same goal. Like they didn't list the house for sale because they wanted to keep it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They want to get rid of it. (laughs) Yeah. So if you can solve their problem, make it easy for them. Yeah. All right, what about lessons? What did you learn from this deal overall?
1: The main lesson was not overspending more than what you have to for sure, but also I think just being the first bird that I did, it, just the whole process itself was just lovely and uh, I validated that David Green was right at that point uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it felt nice go. getting like, getting that money back and like I said repeating it right after so
2: why don't you start a hashtag of that Billy I love that. <laughs>
0: David, Green. I, I David Green was right
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that
0: <laughs> you bring up a good point though and that is sometimes you just have to validate this theories these things you hear on the podcast like you have to just go out and get it done before you really internalize it and be like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, it does work. I'm going to make my life about there. I'm going to do a bunch of stuff, which is why David and I are always encouraging people get that first deal. It doesn't have to be a home run. Like don't lose money, but like, it doesn't have to be a home run. Get in the game, validate that. Yes, this does work. I am making money now. Now I'm going to figure out how to make it better. And so don't overthink this stuff. Everyone listening, just get out there, find some good properties. And you can, you can, you can do it exactly what uh, Billy here did. Uh, build up a good portfolio and have a, uh, have a cool business. Quit your job. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and I'm glad that you brought the home run because it's one of those things where people think that you have to do this massive thing in order for you to get financial freedom. And it's really not. I mean, you know, 22 doors, if you think about it's not a lot, but because I bought them right is why it is a lot. So again, just make sure you guys buy right at the beginning. That's where you make your money.
0: Awesome, man. Well, with that said, that's the end of the Deal Deep Dive. Why don't we head over to the...
1: Famous for... All right, these
0: are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. So Billy, number one, do you have a current favorite real estate related book? or all-time favorite real estate-related book?
1: I'll go with all-time favorite. You can't go wrong with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, Definitely, again, ABC concept. You know, Once you hear it, it's like, oh my God, I've been thinking of this, but now he put words into it. And uh, I'll do a shout out to you, Brandon, because I also did the uh, audio version of the uh, property management book that you did with your wife. That's a great book. Uh, Honestly, one of the things, well, one of the many things, it's not like I just picked one thing out of the whole book. Uh, One of the many things that we do with me and the wife we go out for dinner after the whole bird process is over with and it's rented you know, refinanced and that dinner tastes so much better than any regular dinner. So try that. (laughs) I
2: love it. I love it, man. All right. Next question. What is your favorite business book
1: for that one? I'll say think and grow rich. I don't know if it's a business book or not, but that book just changed my life. Not just my business, but my life in general. So think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. You know, I I was thinking that books like that, and we mentioned
2: one in the favorite books that Brandon and I have, The Richest Man in Babylon. That word rich got thrown around a lot back when those books were written. But nowadays, rich kind of has like a different connotation than I think. We prefer the word wealth now. And I'm sure in like 50 years, wealth will be looked at negatively. It's, It's just important to look past the gut feeling you get when you hear something and try to understand what is the point that the person is trying to make. Cause that book think and grow rich. I've heard so many massively like the Tony Robbins level success in the world all come back to saying how much that book affected them. So you're in some good company.
1: I agree. And, and I actually, that's one of the books that I, every f- January I start my new year of listening to that book. So I listen to it once a year for sure. And every year I, there's something I pick up too. So. All right. When you're not buying
2: units in Nebraska, what are some of your hobbies? You still making music?
1: Yeah, for sure. And that, that's what I was going to say. You know, once you get to this level where you just enjoy what you do, because I do from the construction to now writing my book, my music, honestly, I don't even consider anything hobbies. I just do what I do. And, and if there is a hobby making that money, I think that's a good hobby to have, right? Yeah, there you go.
0: Awesome, man. Well, last question for me. What do you think separates successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never
1: get started? I think action. That's the main thing, action. These people that don't do anything is because of that action the power of being uncomfortable. Again, that's the title of my book. And in that book, I talk about that, that it's it's all about action and it doesn't have to be massive action. Like we said, any little action that you do, uh, you know, and once you do it, the crazy thing is I used to be scared of that first house, right. Or the first burr or whatever. And, and even now, I mean, I was scared of doing the podcast. Like there's always that fear factor that you have, but once you do it, the crazy thing is after you do it, you look back and you're like, wow, I, I could do it again. And again, and, again. And that's the magic of that is uh, let go of that fear and just do it. And I guarantee you that you're going to look back and, and say, oh, wow, I should have done this sooner. A lot of the, the guests that we have on our podcast, we ask them what's the one thing that they regret and is that, that they should have done it sooner.
0: Yeah. that's So good, man. So good. Well, with that said, I think it's time to uh, get out of here. Any, uh, I guess, David, you got your final question and then we'll, we'll close up
2: shop. Last question of the day, where can people find out more about you?
1: So billythekid.com and it's the D-H-A-K-I-D-D.com. If you leave me your email, I'll stay in contact with you. Instagram at billythekid and then YouTube and the Minority Report podcast also, anywhere podcasts are available. So yeah, hit me up, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely write back if you write me, so. Okay, awesome.
2: Love it. Well, David. You want to get us out of here, Brandon? Any any last words? No, that's all I got. All right, this is David Green for Brandon. So good, Turner, signing off. Your beard is so perfect; it looks like a black chin strap.
1: Mine or Brandon's? i you talking about
0: Billy,
2: isn't it? Billy's or mine? <laughs> Yours, Billy? No, Brandon's <laughs> doesn't look like a chin strap. Brandon's looks like a bird nest. <laughs> just say i've
0: never been complimented from you on my beard but billy nice beard
2: no uh, none of us can mm-hmm. hit that level of brilliance man don't brandon's beard is the david's michelangelo
3: <laughs> like
2: should have its own podcast and it's you should make an instagram page for your beard yep. literally like you have beardy brandon and you I have like branded like <laughs> it. that, like, it's like <laughs> just take like a picture with your camera where it's you actually, just get the beard at the beach right and be like then have a post from your beard like needed some downtime today from from propping brandon up for so long (laughs) enjoying the way different styles for different areas nothing like getting some salt in my hair at the beach
3: (laughs) there's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community with just a 3.5 percent down payment you can own up to four different units Optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. All great questions, my friends, all to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily boot camp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpocketscom 4 four, F O U R, today and join us in the small multifamily boot camp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only.